the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from Mark chapter 4, beginning at the 35th verse. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowds, the disciples took him with them in the boat, and there were other boats with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. And so the boat was already filling. And Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And the disciples came to him and woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were greatly afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I want to sleep during storms. I want to sleep during storms. We had quite the storm early Saturday morning that most of us slept through. We had that bit of snow that came to Plano. We called our children downstairs and they were so excited. But as we looked out and looked at that you know, one sixteenth of an inch of snow on the roof line. It reminded me of several years ago when we'd first moved here to Christchurch. Monica and I were back in Canada and uh, back in Ottawa, and we, we put a video on Facebook of the two of us in a vehicle driving, just conversing about something. And in the video, you could see that we were driving with blowing pretty heavy snow. And, and all of a sudden, the comments that started coming from my new parishioners were this, oh no, did that storm come upon you suddenly? You must be so scared praying for you now. And of course our response was, no, this is just November in Ottawa. But what's funny, you see how things change. Monica was in Ottawa this week and as she sent me photos and videos of the roads and the airport and all the snow, I found myself thinking, oh no, did that storm come upon you suddenly? You must be so scared praying for you now. But in seriousness, these disciples in this storm are in real danger. In verse 37 of Mark chapter 4, we read that a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling. These sudden storms on the Sea of Galilee were deadly. They came up suddenly without warning and sailors and fishermen often lost their lives in these storms. It's appropriate, it seems, based on the context that they would be afraid in this moment. As Bishop Tom Wright says, it isn't only boats that are in danger in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, to this day, the car parks on the western shore have signs warning drivers of what happens in high winds. 
the sea can get very rough very quickly and big waves can swamp cars parked on what looked like a safe beach. A boat on the lake suddenly gets tossed around like a child's toy. But what's interesting with this storm, the fact that it happens on a sea, for the Hebrew mindset, the sea represents everything that is chaotic, that is out of control. The sea is the personification of chaos. And therefore, this story of Jesus and his disciples in the storm becomes a picture, not just of a sea storm, but becomes a picture for us of any kind of storm we face. Anytime we feel like life is getting out of control, the things around me are simply chaos, that I'm up to my neck and maybe in fear of drowning in this situation. Many of us have come through a storm recently. Many of us are in a storm presently. And the rest, I would bet, have at least a little bit of worry somewhere in the back of their mind, even if the seas are calm for you right now, that maybe just around the corner, there's a storm brewing in your life. I had so many people reach out to me in this last couple of weeks just saying, listen, if there's anyone that you know of in the congregation or in the community that's economically been hit by the government shutdown, please let us know. We'd like to help. Chaos, economic woes. I've heard from families that are in crisis. I've heard from individuals facing health crises. I think I could preach on this storm text once a year. And it would be needful. See, verse 38 gives us the hope, though. There's Jesus, it says, in the stern of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And in this moment, Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's a teachable moment. He's giving us, his church, a picture of what a disciple's life can look like in the face of storms. Asleep, resting, trusting trusting so much you're able to sleep in the midst of a storm. It reminds me of those words from Psalm chapter four, verse eight. It's included as part of our Compline bedtime prayer. I hear my kids praying this at night at bedtime. We will lay us down, O Lord, and take our rest for it is thou only, O Lord, who makes us dwell in safety. Right? The trust to sleep in the midst of chaos and storms. The problem is, if I'm honest, I'm so far from that picture. When a storm comes into my life, I am full of anxiety, worry. You know that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach you get in the midst of a storm? Right? Something's going horribly wrong in your life. And, and, and that feeling in the pit of your stomach that says, maybe this is what finally is going to undo me. I have a friend who would say this is often the kind of prayer Christians pray in the midst of storms and troubles. They pray like this. They say, Lord, reduce the severity of my circumstances. Lord, reduce the severity of my circumstances so that my lack of faith will be sufficient. 
Reduce the severity of my circumstances so that my lack of faith will be sufficient. I want to sleep during storms. But to do that, I need to hear the gospel. I need to hear the gospel in this text, this sea storm text, the good news of what Jesus shows us. Because here's the gospel. The gospel that Jesus is teaching us in this moment is that in the midst midst of my storms, in the midst of your storms, Jesus is present. He's there. He's with us. But not only is he present in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our storms, Jesus is powerful. All power, all authority. The Lord of creation is with us in our storms. But not only is he present and not only is he powerful, but ultimately in my storm and in your storm, Jesus is always pointing us to another storm, a greater storm that he has already calmed for us. First, Jesus in my storm is present. Verse 38, I love how honest the disciples are. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I mean, they're just right out there. Do you not care, teacher? You on your pillow sleeping, do you not care that we're perishing? And it's an honest question that we ask in the midst of storms. God, are you even aware of what's going on right now? I mean, I believe in you, but do you see what is cascading over me? It's interesting that word perishing is the word in Greek, apolomai, which means total destruction. Like, Jesus, do you not care that we are done for? It's the same word, apolomai, that's used in Revelation chapter 9 to refer to the general of the armies of hell that comes up, apollyon, the destroyer. Lord, do you not care that total destruction and hell itself seems to be coming down on my head right now? It reminds me of Psalm 44. I love how raw and real the Psalms are, right? It's the prayer book of Israel. It teaches us that we do not need to sugarcoat our prayers. We don't need to brush up our prayers before God. We bear our hearts before our Father in heaven. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake, O Lord, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up and come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Now the psalmist elsewhere will say in Psalm 121, you know, he who watches over you does not slumber nor sleep. But this is the honest prayer that we cry out with before God in the midst of storms. But we need to hear the gospel See, in this text, we're told that Jesus is with us in the boat. Look at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, with them in the boat. And then he's sleeping in the boat in the midst of the storm. There is Jesus in the boat with his disciples in the midst of the storm. And of course, it continues to be true for us. What did Jesus say to us 
his disciples just before his ascension. Matthew 28, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? Jesus is in the midst of our storm. And in that moment, we need to be reminded that he's there. He's with us. He has not abandoned us nor forsaken us. But I'll go even further. Verse 35 says that on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. In other words, if you can hear it, it was Jesus' idea to get in the boat. Jesus said, let's get in the boat. Jesus got them in the boat that ended up in the middle of a storm. I know it's difficult when we're in pain to wrestle with the sovereignty of God. But you know what's even more horrifying is to imagine that God is not in control and that this universe is just in total chaos. To know that somewhere in the mystery of God, we are where we are because he has led us to this point. He's not unaware of where you are. You are where you are because God is leading you and is present with you in that storm. A while back, I had an emergency endoscopy in Ottawa. I was visiting and it was sudden and uh, really scary because it looked really bad and um, it was the most awkward experience, awful experience of, you know, being back in my birth country, but now living here as a resident and therefore going through the medical system there, not having insurance in a country that has universal health care. Um, and going through this, they, they kept expediting it. They'd say things like, uh, we're going to have you into the OR, you know, quickly, five, five minutes, which of course never sounds good. Like really it's that desperate. And I was virtually alone and horribly terrified. And all I could cling to as I lay there in the OR, worrying, is this it, Lord? As the anesthetist coming in, putting medicine in, you know, helping me slowly fall asleep. I wasn't counting down like he instructed me to. I was reciting the only psalm, the first psalm that I ever memorized. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on right pathways for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again and again, that psalm. And that psalm was on my lips as I fell asleep. Because that's in that moment all I have. It looks like it's the end. I don't know but you're with me. You promised that you're with me in this storm. But not only is he with us, is he present, but he's powerful. This is the Lord who has all the power, all the authority. Verse 39, it's amazing how Mark words it. It says that he awoke and rebuked the wind. Rebuked the wind. It means he reprimanded the wind. And not only did he rebuke and reprimand the wind, then he said to the sea, peace, be still. And, and peace literally means to shush someone, hush, be quiet. 
And be still literally means be muzzled. It's what you do with a wild rabid beast. Be muzzled. Jesus speaks to the wind and the sea with commands of authority. And here's what's amazing. Is verse 39 goes on to say, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus spoke over the elements of creation and they obeyed him. No wonder verse 41 says that even though Jesus says, why are you afraid? They, Mark says, and they were terrified and said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, the challenge we face in the midst of our storms is do we believe that Jesus, who's with us, actually has the power over everything? That he is bigger and more powerful than anything that's coming at us? And do we pray like that? Do we pray, oh Lord, bring your power to bear on this situation? It's, it's not a guarantee that it's going to work out just the way you and I ask for. We'll talk about that in a moment. But do we even pray like that? Do we believe that Jesus, you're bigger than this storm coming around me? Or do I fear the storm more than I fear the Lord? In my first parish, my very first meeting as a new rector was with our treasurer. And I sat down with the treasurer. We had a good finance meeting. And at the end, I said, you know, it's my first parish meeting. I said, let's pray. How can I specifically pray for you? What's the most important thing I could pray for you? Your top box prayer need. And she said, do you really want to know? And I said, well, now I do. And she said, my daughter has been estranged from me for about five years. She got mixed up with this, this bad seed, this young man. Things went very, very sour very quickly. She won't take my calls. She won't connect with me at all. I've tried. And so we prayed. I, I Fresh out of seminary. I, I wasn't told that, you know, you have to be careful with the kind of prayers you pray. We just prayed boldly. Oh, Lord, you bring your power to bear in this situation. That Sunday morning, I watched that treasurer walk up to the front doors of the church, and she had a young lady with her. And she introduced me to her daughter and said she came home this week. This is the power of the one who's in this boat, rebuking the wind, telling the sea to be silent. Do we pray? Do we ask him to bring his power into our storms? But not only is Jesus present in our storm, not only is Jesus powerful in our storm, but let's be careful because if we ended here, we would be left thinking, okay, well, if Jesus, you don't bring your power to bear and, and fix this exactly as I want it fixed, then somehow there's something deficient in me, something wrong in me. Clearly, if you're, if you're not fixing this the way I want it fixed, then there, there's something that's broken within me. It's kind of like a vending machine version of faith. You know, if I put enough faith quarters in, I get out what I need. And this is not the gospel. The gospel is... John 16, in this world you will have trouble, Jesus says, but fear not, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus in our storms is not just present and he's not just powerful. In each of our storms that you and I go through in this life, Jesus is ultimately pointing us from that storm to another storm, a greater 
storm, the greatest storm in our life that he has already calmed. In the moments that we are feeling like we're drowning in our storms, he is pointing us to the greatest storm that any human being will ever face and saying, remember that I have finished that storm. Here's what we mean. Verse 40, Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? It's, It's quite the rebuke. He rebukes the wind and now he rebukes his disciples. Have you still no faith? But you can also read it with a little less of aggressive rebuke. Can you hear Jesus saying, still not yet? Still not yet? You're not yet there? You obviously have not yet seen enough to believe even in the midst of storms? Because Jesus knows there is more that they need to see before they will believe. I mean, they've seen him cast out demons. They've now seen him calm a storm. But there is something yet that they need to see happen. A storm that he must calm yet still. And when he does, then they will believe. You see, it's not enough what they've seen so far. What they need to see is Holy Week. What they need to see is Jesus face the greatest storm of all. They need to see him in the garden of Gethsemane. As he agonizes with sweat like drops of blood, as he faces his arrest and his flogging and his crucifixion and his death. And let's be clear, Jesus is not just facing death, right? It's not just death like we all face that Jesus is facing. What Jesus is facing, the gospel tells us, is he's facing death as he takes the sin of the world on his shoulders in that death. He faces everything wrong in you and everything wrong in me being brought to bear full judgment and condemnation brought on him in that moment of death. Our sin sends him to hell in such a way that the absolute condemnation of the cosmos is on his head. That's what he faces in Gethsemane. And the disciples watch him face this death. And then they see him overcome it. On the third day, he rises from the grave and shows them victory over sin and death. In that moment, as Jesus is risen, as they begin to understand what he has born for them, what it means in the gospel is that Jesus has faced the greatest storm that any human being ever faces in our place. That Jesus has gone ahead of his disciples and said, I will go to that storm, that storm of sin and death and condemnation, and I will bear it for you ahead of time. It will be over for you. After I've dealt with it, this is no longer your storm to deal with. Let me take that greatest storm in your life and bear it for you. Why was he hanging on the cross? Does Jesus say as his final words, not speaking at the sea this time, not speaking at the wind, but speaking at death itself when he says, it is finished. And in his death and resurrection, it is finished. Your death, my death, if you are in Christ, is done. That storm is calmed. 
He has ultimately taken our ultimate storm. As Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him give us all things? But let's be clear, it doesn't mean invincibility. It simply means that the ultimate storm has been taken. That as you and I are in the storms we face, knowing that Jesus is present in that storm with us, he knows where we are and he's there with us. And not only that, but he is powerful in bringing his power to be brought to bear in the midst of our storms. But even through that, what he's teaching us as disciples is that ultimate storm we face is already gone, taken, finished, complete. And so in a storm, we disciples, we Christians, in our storms, we come to church. And we come in and we hear this good news in word and sacrament. We kneel down at his table because this meal means, even in the midst of our current storms, that the ultimate storm is done. The death and resurrection of the Son of God tells us every week that the ultimate storm is over for us. And, and it has an effect on disciples. It actually changes lives. My, my favorite example of this is, is Peter. Peter is not exactly the example of great faith and wisdom through most of the Gospels. That's why I love Peter, because I see so much of myself in Peter. And yet, in Acts chapter 12, Herod has executed James, and the crowds love it. Herod's opinion polls just go through the roof after he kills James. And so he says, next, it's Peter. And so he arrests Peter, and they put him in jail. And we read in Acts 12, verse 6, that when Herod was about to bring him out, bring him out for execution is what that means. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off of his hands. And it's so easy for us to read that story and think, oh, it's very cool. The angel shows up, you know, the chains fall off, and he's free. And miss the fact that Peter's asleep on the night of his execution. The night of his execution, what he figures is the biggest storm he's ever going to face. Peter is sound asleep. Here's how asleep he is. He's got two guards standing aside his body. He is sound asleep. The angel of the Lord, verse 7 says, appears. He's still asleep. Light shines in the room, verse 7 says. Angelic light from heaven. Peter's still asleep. The angel needs, hear it, to kick Peter. It says, verse 7, he struck him to wake him up. That's how soundly Peter is asleep on the night of his execution. Why? Because Peter had seen Holy Week and Easter. 
Peter had seen the fullness of the gospel. He knew that his Lord was present with him in that storm. He knew that his Lord had the power to do anything in the midst of that storm. But he knew this storm may well kill me. And yet I know that this storm points to my ultimate storm that Jesus has already finished. It is finished. I am at peace. It is well with my soul. And he sleeps. I wants to sleep during storms. It's funny, when I was growing up as an atheist in my heart, uh, I still went to Catholic school all those years. And it's amazing that some of the songs that got sung over us uh, that I didn't like at the time, uh, they, they took root in me. And now I look back at some of those songs the nuns sang and They mean a lot now. Speaking over the confidence, trust in God in the midst of the storms that come at us. If you pass through raging waters in the sea, you shall not drown. If you walk amid the burning flames, you shall not be harmed. If you stand before the power of hell and death is at your side, know that I am with you through it all. Be not afraid. I go before you always. Come, follow me. And I will give you rest. This is the gospel. This is how we sleep during storms. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.